What's up, Liverpool faithful, and welcome to another episode of Yanks of the Cop. On today's episode, we dive into more news coming out about Project Restart and whether or not we think the season will finish. We discuss our thoughts on FSG and who should be the man in charge after Jurgen Klopp. We close the episode deciding on who we should keep, loan, or sell among key reserves and our young lads. As always, I'm your host, Stephen Scanlon, alongside my brother, Andrew Scanlon. How are we doing today, Andrew? Uh, Stevie, it's a beautiful day in Boston. The, the sun is shining, the, the birds are singing, and the Premier League clubs have agreed to finish out the season. I'm a happy camper. Couldn't be happier myself, too. And joining us today, we have a very special guest, somebody that we look up to a lot and has been doing some great work on the YouTube channel and Field Agenda. We have Craig. Thank you so much for coming on, Craig. It's a privilege to have you. How are you holding up? Oh, I'm doing really good, guys. Thank you, Stephen and Andrew, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank Our you, pleasure, man. man. Thank you. Yeah, it's always nice to get uh, somebody from across the pond on and getting your expert uh, expertise on, you know, everything red. So let's dive right into it. A lot has been talked uh, talked about in terms of Project Restart. Some of the uh, new things that have come out in the last couple of weeks. PSG has been named champions of the French League. They have decided to cancel the rest of the season. But how they're doing it is, is that, hey, there's, there's no relegation and uh, PSG is named champions. So, our thoughts. What do we think? Does that is that going to have any impact on what happens with uh, with the EPL? Uh, Craig, let's start with you. Okay, so there's a few ways to look at this, guys. I've always been somebody who thought that voiding or ending the league campaign would be a very last resort for numerous reasons, litigation being one of them. So, when you look at the, the situation where Lorient were awarded the French second division title, Paris Saint-Germain, the first division title, immediately what we've seen was, okay, people shrugging their shoulders and going, PSG probably would have won that. That's fair enough. But then we start to see the, the Canal Plus and the being sports of this world say, okay, well, there's probably 243 million euro worth of broadcast rights here that aren't going to be reinvested back into French football. And then you look at the likes of the Belgian league where we'd seen Bruges crown champions. And then you, you thought, okay, well, then what's going to happen with Europe? And then the Eredivisie as well. It's all very well and good, these confederations and these leagues just ending them. But UEFA still have to deem who plays in Europe. And it's all very well and good as well, saying there's no relegation and no promotion. But that simply would not work with a league as heavily backed as the Premier League. Look at right. the money that like Sky, BT, BN Sports, Supersport, NBCSN, all plough into the Premier League. Now, can you imagine if this season's records were just wiped what happens with the season ticket money? What happens with the broadcasting rights? What happens with all the shirts we've bought? What happens with players' goal records and appearance records? There's just so much stuff that it's just incomprehensible to me that it was ever even a thought. So what's happened in France, I think, is something that UEFA have asked clubs on May 25th to give them a reason why any clubs or any leagues, I should say, excuse me, that have cancelled early, why they've done so so early because there's still time to work this out as we go along with this evolves. Sure. Craig, forgive me if I'm wrong, but weren't the cl- uh, weren't the leagues, the French League, the Dutch League, and the Belgian League, weren't their contract rights with the major broadcasting firms, weren't those all concluded? Um, I thought I read a report on that. Is that not the case? What I had last heard, and again, like yourself, I'm open to being proven wrong of this, is that there was 243 million euro being held back or potentially held back. There was an installment that had been paid by Canal Plus. 
um, which they had been happy to pay, but there was still more money owed from what I believe. Now, I don't know about the Eredivisie and I've no idea about the Belgian League. It's just with re- regards to the French League. Yeah. I think you make up a good point, especially with UEFA. I mean, they, they specifically said that leagues need to finish out based on sporting merit. And when you look at a team or a league like the Dutch League, they didn't do that at all. So I, I don't understand why they really triggered that conclusion right away. Um, I would expect that they're probably in discussions with UEFA on how to figure out where to go from here. I mean, just stopping the season, saying null and, null and void, doesn't really work here because uh, there's plenty of clubs that definitely had a chance of making it to the Europa League and even the uh, uh, the UEFA League. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, Craig brought up a great point with the litigation. So, I mean, two two of the leagues that have already decided to cancel the season are already facing litigation battles. So, uh, in the Dutch League, I know I think it, I'm going to butcher the name of the team, but I think it's Etrich. Um, they're, they currently are in sixth or seventh place, so they're just outside. Of, um, of oh yeah of getting of getting promoted or, or I'm sorry for uh, European football, uh, so they have already come in and said that they're going to sue. And then Lyon out in France, uh, same thing. So they they're right in the same boat. And actually, this morning the chairman from Crystal Palace came out and uh, in full support of the restart. And the main reason was because of litigation. He's like, if we don't start the if we don't start the league back up, you know, the league could be facing legal litigation for years to come. So obviously, you know, a league as big as the Premier League. You know, they they don't want to have to deal with that. So I think if they can find a way to to do it safely, then you can uh, and you should. And the problem now that came out, I think it was yesterday or two days ago. So Germany has been back training now for a couple of weeks. Uh, Cologne in Germany just had three people test positive since they returned to training. But they are still going to continue training um, despite those three people testing positive. So I think really it comes down to the safety point. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point too, especially in Germany. I know um, the Bundes or the uh, Dortmund coach, the Dortmund executive said that uh, the Bundesliga needs to continue, or else a lot of teams are going to go under. Maybe even the whole league will go under. So this is—I <laughs> mean, I know what we always say, but this is a strictly money situation. The the executives, I don't really think, are considering the players' safety, the staff safety. They just need to get this this uh, this thing going again. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the Premier League, there's a couple um, points that have come up specifically for the Premier League. So I think it was May 8th or May, I think it's May 8th. They're having another meeting to kind of decide on what, what they're going to be doing. They're eyeing June 12th as a return date for the Premier League. And sounds like it's going to be behind closed doors, um, you know, neutral locations. But, you know, a couple things. Chelsea, you know, they had uh, came out and said that all their players have to be back in England today. And Arsenal oh, wow. returned to training last Monday. Um, and then there was also some concerns. Uh, two teams specifically didn't say what teams they were. They expressed concerns in playing in neutral sites. And the, the main thing I heard was the integrity of the league. So, you know, Craig, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think playing at neutral sites would, you know, impact the integrity of the league? First thing, one thing we have to touch on here is you touched on players that had to report back to the country by today for some, some specific clubs. They now have to go into 14 days isolation before they can oh, even wow. begin to start back in training. Um, one of the clubs that had come out in concern about playing a neutral venue was Brighton and Hove Albion, and their chairman came out um, and spoke openly about this. And I think one of the reasons being, and they're right down there fighting in the relegation zone, and they have nine games left to play. Five of those games would have been at home. So I think they deem that, you know, even at a neutral venue, they're losing some type of an edge, even playing in an empty Amex stadium. 
that that might have given them when they're pushed to stay up. Um, other than that, it is a difficult one to talk about. I mean, Gary Neville had been. I think Gary Neville's been brilliant on this, by the way, from day one. And I yeah. think he's always said the football has a role to play. And, and he does have a, a role as, as an ex-player, somebody who's advised younger players. And, of course, now is a part owner with Salford City as well. And we touched on the litigation earlier on. Well, when they cancelled below uh, league football in England, immediately litigation started, immediately clubs. And this is wow. non-league football. We're already starting to take the... FA to court um, over money that they'd spent, loss of income and so on. Now, I think one important factor here to note is that for Premier League clubs to play behind closed doors, I believe, and I'm, I'm open to being proved wrong on this, that match day revenues are account for around 8% for top football clubs. And as you drop down through the divisions, that amount becomes more and more. And I'd seen an amazing report from, I think it was David Maddock, who I think you're going to touch on later on, um, he said that if Liverpool had to play the entirety of next season behind closed doors, we could be looking at losing up to somewhere between 85 and 100 million quid. So, yes, wow. playing in neutral stadiums mightn't be the ideal situation, but there is a reason for it. And I think they're talking eight to ten stadiums, uh, mainly outside of densely populated areas, I believe, probably where there is accommodation where teams can be sequestered, isolated and make sure that their health can be monitored and maintained and distance and everything that will be needed. Now, what you've touched on in the German League with Cologne, I didn't actually know about and it is one of my big fears is what happens if we do see a couple of positive tests? What happens then? Right. And that's, you know, we started to see, it, there was always going to be a situation in the world where the economic circumstance was going to start to be weighed up against human life. And I think even with sport, we're going to start to see this type of thing as well. Whereas you said the big wigs in the Premier League or whatever, they're going to start to want to make sure that broadcast revenue keeps coming through. And one interesting thing that I'd seen yesterday was that um, to try and appease some of the broadcasters, they're now talking about being able to give them like access to interview substitutes during the game to try and make extra content because there'd be no fans and stuff inside mm. the stadium. Interesting. Well, you saw the CGI fan idea it might it might be floated as well. Yeah, that, that's just that's just Manchester City all over, really. Isn't <laughs> yeah. it, to be fair, like oh, true. Yeah. Well, that's like a daily game for them, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, the, the only other thing to note here in terms of Liverpool is that you know the Liverpool mayor uh, Joe Anderson came out with some comments that the Liverpool team didn't like too much. I mean, he came out and ultimately was in favor of the league not continuing. You know, naming Liverpool as champions, and his main reason was because. You know, if we continue the games and, you know, we go out and, and win the title, a lot of the Liverpool support groups in Liverpool are going to go to Anfield around around the stadium and, uh, you know, take part in these group celebrations. And immediately the team came out and it was just like, you know, we are really disappointed with the comments. We've, we've already spoken to a number of supporters groups, you know, talking about, you know, proper protocol if we do, you know, go out and win the title. So, now, what has been the atmosphere like, Craig, uh, in response to th those comments? Has anyone kind of ta been talking about that or you know, what's been going on? Yeah, look, I'm not a scouser, so it's very difficult for me to talk about this from the point of view uh, of being inside the city. But what I can say is, in my view of this, I've tried to push aside that Mayor Anderson of Liverpool is an Evertonian fan. I've tried to push that to one side. And his comments were, even if it was behind <laughs> closed doors, there'd be many thousands of people that would turn up outside Anfield. There's not many people who would respect what we've been saying straight away from the ground. 
Uh, I think it would be really difficult for the police to keep apart and maintain social distancing if they were going to celebrate outside Anfield. It would be farcical. And look, pushing aside club rivalries, he is talking about the citizens of his own city not maintaining social distancing. And what I would say is it's very easy to come out with these type of comments, but and it's very easy for me in hindsight to be clever, but where was this type of care when 3,000 Atletico Madrid fans were allowed into the city for the, the second Seriously. leg of that game? Um, th- there was no talk about it then. So, look, we can all be geniuses in hindsight, but it was a bit of a sly dig from Mayor Anderson. I thought it was unnecessary, and he should be trying to um, big up and trying to empower his own citizens and not belittle them like that. So I thought it was a bit of a cheap shot. Yeah, I completely agree. I yeah. mean, I, like, I think it's almost a shot at the Liverpool fans. I mean, especially because of everything that happened with the uh, Atletico game. You know, I think Liverpool supporters in Liverpool are very aware of how, you know, that probably shouldn't have happened. And that probably led to a lot of cases happening in Liverpool. So I like to think that they're knowledgeable enough to, you know, take that into consideration and celebrate privately in their own homes and have a few pints, you know? It's important to point out as well that, at the time, those Atletico Madrid fans travelled over, and look, this could sound bitter from our point of view because we lost the game, but I promise you it isn't. Football was already being played behind closed doors in their home country with a major outbreak in the city of Madrid. So, to me, I just can't understand how that was allowed to go ahead and those fans were allowed to sense. travel. Nothing against the club in general. I have nothing but respect for Atletico Madrid as a football club. I just thought it was a crazy decision. Yeah, I think that's actually going to be further investigated upon in the in the few months to come. But um, I will say, it was, I thought it was funny with the Liverpool comment, the Liverpool mayor's comments that uh, the first club or the first uh, outlet to react was FSG. Mm-hmm. They they came out right away, made a public statement and how you know disappointed they were in Mayor Joe Anderson's comments, and they definitely just needed that positive publicity after the furloughing decision. So I'm so I thought it was very ironic that they came out right away, but. Needless to say that this mayor, uh, I don't think, will win re-election amongst the, the <laughs> Liverpool faithful. But I do just want to quickly review real quick um, about the behind closed doors and neutral location situation. I did read that about there's going to be about eight to ten venues and venues like Wembley would not be included just because they're so grand. They're in the middle of the city. Uh, so they're going to try to avoid things like that, kind of like Craig mentioned. Um, but all of the clubs that were against this, six of them were in the bottom six. So, like you said, Craig, that makes complete sense. They don't want to lose that home field advantage in the big matches. And then just quickly circling back to um, uh, the EFL clubs, I think that there that's where the big issue lies for a lot of this. Uh, a lot of those clubs, due to financial reasons, have furloughed a lot, of, like most of their staff. And that only works because they're currently not training. If training does come back into the fold and they start playing games again, those players, those that staff, they need to come off furlough. And I think that's when you could see some issues with a lot of those lower tiered clubs going under. So I think that's one of the big issues as well yeah. that I wanted to bring up. No, no, all, all concerns. And, you know, this, this whole project restart is multi-layered. You know, the teams, the players' contracts, you know, the teams coming up like leads, you know, it, it, it's hard. It's going to be a – no matter what the situation is, somebody – there's going to be winners in every situation. There's going to be losers in every situation. But the one thing I will say about the Premier League is that I'm happy that they are kind of waiting it out, not making a decision right away. Yeah. See, happens in Germany and all these other leagues but you know I think we can all agree that if they can find a way to safely get the league back that's what it's going to be that's what has to happen that's going to be the best thing for us 
Well, I, I read an article saying uh, about players' concerns, and it seemed that like 70 to 80% of the players were in favor of returning to play. You know, they're just kind of stir crazy right now. They need to get out of the house. They want to play some football. But the 20% that were against were definitely um, speaking highly of that. They, you know, some of these guys are living with elderly parents. Some of them have, you know, three to four children at home. They don't want to leave mom at home to handle everything, especially in a case like this. So there's still like a lot of concerns from the players as well. Uh, like Sergio Aguero came out speaking up, speaking up against it. So I'm going to be curious to see what yeah, happens. Me here. too. And I wonder what like, I wonder what like Jurgen Klopp thinks about all this. I would love to hear his. Yeah, his, that'd his be thoughts. good. But um, you know, we were talking about FSG. So let's kind of transition over to our thoughts on them. So, um, you know, overall, you know, being in Boston, we, me and Andrew are very, very familiar with FSG and, and their antics, but, you know, Craig, what are your thoughts on FSG as, as an ownership? You know, do you think they've done a good job? You know, do you have any, you know, any concerns about them or any just negative thoughts about them in general? Right. So this is a very multi-layered question, I suppose. I can, I can answer <laughs> from a number of angles. Um, when they first came in, one of the phrases that I remember them uttering was uh, under-promise and over-deliver. And I liked what I heard there. Now, obviously, with Hicks and Gillette, we were a little bit burned, shall we say, by the last American owners. But when you look into to FSG and their background, and I hate to use the word franchise, by the way, when we talk about clubs or teams, especially in American sports and stuff, but that is that they, are, they know how to run a sports club or a sports franchise. So I was very positive right. about that. Everything I'd read up from the, from the Boston Red Sox fans, the way that they looked at whether they moved from Fenway Park or whether they redeveloped, they listened. They seemed to have made the correct decision. They then came to Anfield, and yes, they made mistakes. Appointing Damien Camoli, some of the people who they trusted when they came into the sport in the first place, the treatment of Kenny Dalglish when they, when they fired him, and a few other little, bit, little bits and pieces, ticket and pricing and stuff, they've got wrong, but they're learning on the job. As a whole, you cannot say that they have been anything other than magnificent owners. They've listened to the fans where possible. They've brought us in sponsorship deals with a Warrior, a company who'd never really been involved in football before, who I believe, if my memory is correct, are a Boston-based company. Yes. Um, their parent company, then New Balance, took over, as we know. Again, record-breaking kit deals, record-breaking kit sales. Now we've gone into a Nike deal. We've got the main stand being redeveloped. The area around Anfield has been transformed. Club Megastore, Jurgen Klopp said, hey, guys, you know what? I'd love a 50 million quid training facility. Done, Jurgen. No problem. I mean, the way that they've brought in the best of the best to run the club. Michael Edwards is a god. A man mm. is a genius. Yeah. Our, our net spend is ridiculous. The money that we have brought in for players we didn't want. We used to, we used to struggle to give them away. We used to have to put them out on loan to buy. We always got screwed over on. And now look at us. We are a transformed club. They have done what they have said. They have under-promised and over-delivered. And all in all, I would say it's a very, 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 very well-done job by FSG with regards to running Liverpool Football Club. Um, I can't praise them highly enough. And I was at one point a little bit undecided. I was in the early days. I wasn't sure. But they have learned of they have gone and how can you not but praise them for the job they're doing? We are the world champions. We are the reigning European champions, although knocked out of the competition. We're about to win the Premier League. We have the best manager yeah. in the world, in my opinion, at the club. And we are now able to attract the best talent in the world to the club. It is a job very well done. Yeah, I mean, I think that was pretty spot on from Craig. I'll just echo some of that sentiment. I mean, in the early years, I thought, were, were pretty difficult under, under FSG. 
you know, you had Roy Hodgson, you had Kenny Dalgleish, which who, who did well in the long run, but you saw guys like Andy Carroll come in for these massive fees and definitely didn't, uh, didn't represent that fee at all, in my opinion. Um, the, the sponsor or the, the shirt sponsor of Warrior, I don't think that was the best. That was definitely in their own self-interest because they do have a stake in Warrior. But then they, then they corrected themselves with the appointment of Klopp. That's the best move they've ever made, in my opinion. And like you said, Craig, Michael Edwards, for me, is a close second. That guy has just been an absolute genius, Brandon Allison and Van Dyke. And then it's clear to me that their money ball strategy is working. You see guys like Coutinho being bought at such a low fee and sold for 142 million pounds. Andy Robertson, Mo Salah, Mane, Firmino. I mean, it, the list just goes on. So um, they've been doing a great job with that. But I think the, the furloughing um, the furloughing decision definitely was a disappointment. But in the end, they got it right, just how they you know started off with a disappointment at Liverpool. And in the end, they've gotten it right with being world champions. Yep. And no, champions. So, yeah. yeah, so I pretty much agree with everything. I mean, FSG, when it comes to – when you look at where we were when they took over to where we are now, I mean, I think people forget – that Liverpool was was close to administration uh, when they took over. The financial situation was not great, um, and look 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 where we are now. It's True. really good. But the one thing I will say on, on FSG being in Boston that a lot of people don't hear about is that they are very they are kind of seen as being a little bit cold, even among Red Sox fans. Like we all think that they've done a good job with the team, but even looking at even looking at this year, you know, they, they sold, they got rid of two of our best players from the, from the Boston Red Sox only for one reason for a salary dump. Cause they didn't want to keep paying. Yeah. You know, keep paying what they were paying. So that was a little bit disappointing, but you know, they actually own the newspaper in, in Boston as well. The Boston globe, it's the biggest newspaper in Boston and they go out of their way to make any other team in Boston look bad. So they have a really big rivalry with um, the, the Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, and he actually was in talks to buy the team and FSG bought the team. Um, so, and I was actually reading an article today from um, um, uh, Liverpool Echo, actually, I just wrote a really good article about it. And it was saying how, listen, uh, Kraft came in solely just to raise the price for FSG because they, they hate him that much. They, they do not like it. They do not like each other. Um, and they, they will go out of their way to, to slander any other team in Boston to make them and the Red Sox look that much better. And I think, you know, when the furlough decision came out and then they reversed it, I'm happy they reversed it. But the, the reason why they reversed it so quickly is they, they didn't want to take another PR hit. Um, they are really focused on wanting to be the best and that sort of a thing. So, you know, come – you know, they are billionaires, you know what I mean? So they're going to be selfish and think that they're right and all that stuff. But when it comes – when you actually look at the team and where we are now, it's been a resounding success in my opinion. So the people who are saying FSG out and stuff like that, I think you need to settle down and remember where we were. We were in seventh place, sixth place in the league, way away from where we are now. So um, let's just take that into consideration. Could I just jump in on a couple of quick yeah. points? Mm-hmm. Um from my side over here, I it does my head in when 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 football based people over here try to say that FSG are using Liverpool money for the Red Sox or vice versa. Let's put that to bed. That they just don't cross over. They are two separate entities and they are run two sep- separately by the same ownership group. Um, the Robert Crafting always makes me laugh because now I will always associate him with massage parlors for the rest of my life. Whenever <laughs> yeah. I hear the man's name, that's all I'm. I'm not wrong with a fair play to him. He's a billionaire, but like if he's a cheap billionaire, that's okay, fair enough. I mean, 
Yeah, why don't go to a massage parlor though? You have, you can buy an escort or something like that, a high quality escort. Yeah, you know what I mean? Parlor. Like that that's it. Like the man wanted to save a few <laughs> quid. I mean, it is what it is. But um, the money ball thing as well. I mean, do you think that actually equates to football? And and I mean, look, my limited knowledge. I've seen the film and I know a limited amount about it. But um, I think what we have done, yes, we've been clever and how we spent. But I think, from my limited understanding of money, but hasn't it been looking for um, statistics and looking for underappreciated players uh, that are being overlooked in baseball? From my limited understanding of it, yeah, it's more. Yeah, yeah, you can take this, Andrew. Yeah. Oh no, I, I was just gonna kind of say, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, what comes to mind for me more so is like a Mo Salah. You know, he was being the fact that we got him for 30 million pounds is just absolutely ridiculous to me. I mean, he was having a lights out year in the Italian league. Yeah, he was a flop at Chelsea, but I mean, his take on ratio was absolutely insane. Um, I think his goal ratio was pretty well, pretty good over there as well. So, I mean, that's just the money ball. Yeah, I think it's just it just goes hand in hand with what Klopp's transfer, um, transfer, like transfer strategy is. Like, yeah, yeah, he's he's never going to pay, you know, 100 million plus for one player. You know, he they really look for the guys who are either still young and up and coming, about to hit their primes. You know, guys like Timo, Timo Werner, you know, for example. You know, if you can get a guy like that who checks all the boxes, he's still young, he's performing at a high level in, in an elite league, and you can get him for great value around fifty million pounds. Like that's, you know, that's you know the transfer model in a nutshell. They want to go out and spend you know a hundred million dollars on on Havertz or you know. 120 million, yeah, 120 million, 150 million on Mbappe. They'd rather go get the guy for, you know, 35, 40 million pounds now. So two or three years from now, if they want to sell them, they can sell them for twice the amount. And that is, I suppose, what you need to do to be a sustainable football club. I mean, we can't all go out. Look what Manchester United have tried to do to get back to the top. They've thrown good money after bad with no transfer strategy whatsoever. So... I suppose there is maybe some more of a crossover than I realized, but either way, it's a job well done. No, absolutely. And, and actually, the, uh, what comes to mind actually is that the TV show on Netflix, Sunderland Till I Die, you know, one of the things that they talked about, I mean, a little bit different for them because they're down in League One, but you know, when they got new ownership and they came in, they were looking at it and they're like, our spend and everything, it's, it's, not, it's not stable. Like, we, keep, we keep just having our rich owner throw money at everything, but now that we don't have a rich owner, like, we can't sustain that we're spending like we need to completely remember, change our strategy right do you remember when when there was some anti-fsgers and there's still a couple of idiots floating around but there was a, some, a real movement at the time of fsg out and one of their major concerns was they bought the club for 250 270 million and it's now worth a billion my point there is and they haven't taken a penny <laughs> out of the club they have mm-hmm. increased the value of the club by broadcasting rights, by adding to the stadium, by doing it the right way. If you buy a house and stick extensions on it yeah, and stick a nice lick of paint on it and build it up, then that's all good. Yep. I don't see the problem. It's not like Manchester United's right. owners that have come in, leveraged the club to the hill to buy it, and are crippling debt repayments. To my knowledge, FSG haven't taken a penny out of the club, and the money that they loan Liverpool to build a main stand had a very limited amount of interest, which I believe has to be included in the contract just to cover the cost of inflation over the terms of the over the term of the repayments. Yeah. And Craig, wasn't there a dispute amongst um, what FSG wanted to do at the stadium on Anfield Road? Wasn't there a big issue there? And they 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 listened to the fans, and they actually were in favor. Yeah. Of it so end? so. 
Do you remember, so do you remember on the that? Annie yeah. Road end, there was talk that it might not be feasible because they couldn't put any corporate seats into it, basically. Um, and it is a bit tricky there with regards to the road and stuff as well behind, but they did listen and they did allow planning permission to lapse. And it looks like that they're going to up it from the original four and a half or so thousand to about 7,000 more, bringing the capacity to 61K, which is... You know, probably still a little bit short, but better than the, the, the 44 or so that it was at one point. Well, that would put us, what, fourth in capacity, I think, in in England? I think Old Trafford has, what, 87,000, and the Etihad's up there, the Emirates is up there. And then I, I was I was actually lucky enough to go Not to... Um, I was over in London. I was doing. I was over to at the launch of La Liga TV, and while I was over there at a spare day, and myself and Connor, the guy who runs the YouTube channel with me, actually were just you know looking for something to do that day, and it happened that there was an FA Cup replay between Spurs and Norwich, or was it Middlesbrough? Middlesbrough, excuse me, uh, taking place at Spurs' new stadium. So we said, "Hey, we'll go down," and wow, mm. wow is all I can say. That stadium is. I can understand yeah. why all the broadcasters that have been are calling it like the greatest football stadium that they've ever been to. It is unbelievable, guys. I have to say, it blew me away. But are the fans um, saying that? Are the supporters saying that? I don't know if they are. Hello. Yeah, I think Craig just cut out. Stadium. No, you're always gonna have. Sorry, am I still? Can you guys hear me? Okay. You're still there. Yeah. You, you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just um, I think quick. from what I can gather, you're always going to have London ticket prices. So that that is always going to be a difference for the fans. I mean, their season tickets and stuff are going to be extremely expensive. But all I can say is from my my right. one uh, trip there, I thought it was amazing. I really thought it was a fantastic stadium. I don't like the light show display and stuff at the start. I thought it was a bit cringy. But the stadium itself and the setting that it's in, I think it... Daniel Levy and Spurs done an excellent job there in building that facility. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, I'm sure they're struggling now with uh, with all the all the money decisions and having a, a brand new stadium. And bringing in a manager who's happen. going to leave you with nothing but an aging squad full of overpaid players. <laughs> yep, classic Mourinho there for three years <laughs> and then he's gone. So, um, but yeah, moving on from FSG, I think we can all agree that. You know, they've done a good job, and I think they were the right people to take in charge, especially with, you know, with what they've done with Anfield and just where we are now. But going over to the man in charge, Jurgen Klopp. So he did sign an extension a couple of years back now. So he had, he's going to be you know, with us for three more seasons. But, you know, per Klopp, you know, he doesn't know if he's going to continue after that. He, he typically only stays for about seven years or so. So, you know, let's talk about who we think that – who should be the guy to replace him. So in my mind, I have a couple of guys uh, in mind that could potentially be a good fit there. But um, Andrew, let's start with you. Who do you think that would be a good replacement? Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I love Steven Gerrard. I, I always love Steven Gerrard as a player, as a man, as a Liverpool local. He's just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I still think that he needs a lot of experience. Uh, he, I think he's been doing a great job over at Rangers. I don't think he's won the title yet. I think they're still behind Celtic in that. But, you know, he's a local hero. He's the one everybody wants at Anfield. And I think it'll eventually happen. I just don't – I still don't think it's going to happen right away after Klopp. I think the guy is Pep Linders. I think he's the most realistic at this at this time. It would be a seamless transition. He's the assistant coach right now. He's well-liked by the players. He's well-liked by the staff. And, you know, he's a student of Klopp. He's learning from Klopp every day. He's been on several – 
uh, TV shows and given interviews about that, that he's constantly learning from Jurgen Klopp and what better guy to learn from, in my opinion. But um, I would just be curious to see if his philosophy would change at all under, uh, once Klopp left or if he would just kind of go with the, the gang and press in mentality and that sort of thing. But um, <laughs> oh, I mean, maybe no, Jose Mourinho, you. right? <laughs> I'm just kidding, dude. I could never you know, see him. You know, when Rafa terrible. was appointed, it was down between Mourinho and Rafa, and Mourinho has been bitter since to this day I that Rafa that. got the nod. Right. Yeah, they chose Happy Rafa over Mourinho. Happy Absolutely. But uh, Craig, what do you think? Yeah. Who, uh, who do you have in mind uh, for a potential replacement after Klopp? So we are looking to 2024 probably here and like people thought it was a coincidence when Stevie G signed his right. new long-term Rangers here. But look, let's be quite frank about it. Stephen Gerrard cannot go from managing Rangers football club to managing Liverpool football club with the best of intent. It's not comparable. So for me, he's going to have to go prove himself elsewhere. Right. And I mean, seriously prove himself. You don't just get the right to manage a club because you're a club legend. Um, Frank Lampard and Chelsea was a little bit difficult. They were in a situation where they're kind of their hands were tied with regards to the transfer window. Dice were. Binder's idea. I, I'm always somebody who thinks that that makes sense. I like the boot room philosophy as well. I like the fact that he he had worked under Klopp, left to try and manage, didn't work out for various reasons, and Holland came back. Klopp welcomed them back with open arms and is thought yep. very very highly of. But if I'm being honest, I wonder again, would we be forced or left in a kind of Brendan Rodgers situation where very good young up-and-coming coach, maybe a bit too early in his career, would he have the pulling power? So for me, I would like to look towards a Mauricio Pochettino, a Julian Nagelsmann, somebody else maybe who will explode over the next couple of years and that we can keep track on and that will continue to be able to attract the calibre of football players we lead. I've got to be honest, I really do like Pochettino as a manager. Oh, I love him. I love Pochettino as well. I just, I just don't know if he'd be available in, in 2024. Uh, I feel like he's going to sign with somebody before that. But the Nagelsmann is a high-quality caliber coach. He's doing fantastic things at the RB Leipzig. I mean, I would love to see Yeah, him I agree. So, I, really you know, I think my, my preferred choice would probably be, would probably be Linders just because he's, he's in there. Um, the, the players are familiar with them. He knows Klopp's system. Would be a little bit of an easier transition, but – um, I agree. I do love Pochettino, but I think in the next year or so, he's probably going to be somewhere else, whether it's back at Tottenham or maybe even at Newcastle with the new ownership coming in. Um, so I think my num- so my choice then, you know, with all that being said, would be Nagelsmann. He has done an unbelievable job at Leipzig. I mean, this team's only been in existence for 10 years, and they're already in third place now in the Bundesliga. And the, the type of players that he's managing right now kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the Liverpool transfer like model. So uh, he's, he's managing guys like Timo Werner, um, the Upham and Cano, uh, uh, the defensemen. They have a lot of you know, high-quality players on that team who are up-and-coming. So that would really fit into our transfer strategy as well. You know, guys, and he can help develop them and get them into a world-class yep. level. And they're competing at a high level right now. I mean, again, third place in the Bundesliga, they, they – did play very well in the uh, in the Champions League, it's a little bit outclassed at times. But I mean, it comes to be expected when you're, when you're a team like RB Leipzig. But when you look at how they play, too, oh man, I think he'd be great with what we have. And let's not forget, yeah, he did a great job. Exactly, and he's, he's a well. student of Ralph Ranić, as is Daniel Fark, and that's something I think that Jurgen Klopp is uh, very complimentary of. And in, in, I think he has a, a, a lot of respect for Ralph Ranić and people that have worked to that kind of method and the high-press caliber of football that we play. 
Exactly. And and like the one thing about Gerard is again the yeah. experience thing, but like you know, he he still hasn't won the Scottish League. I mean, they, they have put together some good performances in Europa, but ultimately I th- he needs to go somewhere else and you know, a bigger team than Rangers. So I mean, my question is, is like, what type of a team would, you know, Gerard need to have success with for you to be comfortable with him, you know, be the next coach of Liverpool? Would, you know, a mid-table Premier League team, you know, be good? Or maybe, you know, uh, an Italian Italian league that's like pushing for, you know, Champions League? Like, what would be the ultimate next step for, for Gerard? It would have been Newcastle before the takeover. That would have been the type of club that I would have been talking about with regards to him. Um, but with them apparently offering Pochettino 380 grand a week to go manage there, I don't think that's going to be the case. So um, you are right. You want to get somebody probably mid-tier who he can push towards a European place. It doesn't have to be for him to go and manage a Spurs or a Chelsea or an Arsenal, but he would have to go and prove himself and that one that he can improve players from a coaching perspective. I mean, he's always going to have the admiration on the back end of Liverpool fans if he came in, but how long that would last. And and let's be honest, none of us would want the man's legacy to be in any way tarnished. So I think we all kind of hesitate out of a nothing but respect for Stevie G. So yeah, he would, he would have to either for me, go to the Premier League and manage a club I'm trying to equate somebody of the size, maybe um, looking down to the division. Like a Crystal Palace, maybe. That's what I thought of. Or like a South. Something like a Southampton's like a good shot because they've got a great academy as well, produce young, good players. Um, I mean, Leicester right. would have been a good shout as well if Brendan Rodgers wasn't there. That would have been an ideal type of club mm-hmm. for him to go to and, and continue that progression. And maybe right. if Rodgers moves on to a bigger job, no disrespect to Leicester because I've got a lot of Leicester City friends. Um, he's going to probably be headhunted quite soon as well. So maybe it would involve Stephen Jared looking to go to the continent, maybe, and, and looking to broaden his horizons of coaching. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And and I, you brought up a good point earlier, Craig. I, you cannot compare his situation with with uh, with Lampard's because you know Lampard did pretty good at Derby, but. He had no pressure coming into Chelsea. There was they had no transfer window. They couldn't bring anybody in, bring anybody out. They had a young team. So it's just like, you know what? This is the perfect guy, young team, have him come in. Zero pressure to really do anything because, I mean, I think if you told Chelsea fans at the start of the year, hey, you're going to finish in fourth place, would you take that? I think they would walk to the bank with it. Absolutely. Um, and he- yeah, I completely agree. The one thing I worry about Jared is I, I just don't want him to arrive at a point when he's not ready and that we're not ready for him. You know, we're I'm in, in the upper echelons of football teams right at the moment. And to join that club, like you and Craig said, it would just be very difficult. You know, we all want him, we all want him to succeed. And uh, one, other, one other point I would make on Pep Linders is I kind of see him as like a Mikel Arteta under Pep Guardiola. I think that you know, he's just being molded by Klopp to be, to be this sort of manager. And I think that he could be the guy to take over uh, with his charisma, with his, um, his, his relationship with the players. Uh, I, would, I think he's, I think he's the he right guy. He spent seven years as well um, uh, at Porto and he brought through players like Ruben Neves as well during his time there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Good point. So, I mean, I think right. we do have a couple of good options. Let's enjoy the last uh, few years we have with Klopp, and um, hopefully we'll have uh, a lot more silverware. Yeah, hopefully we'll get a lot more uh, silverware to put, glorious into, uh, years. to put into our cabinet. But switching over, let's talk about some uh, potential transfer news. So it seems like all the time we keep hearing we're being linked to some players, and then we're hearing that, oh, we're not going to have any transfers come in. So 
you know, Craig, what are your thoughts? Do you think that, you know, we could potentially see a couple of people in, or do you think that these, this recent news that we're not going to have any transfers coming in at all because of the, uh, because of COVID, you know, what do you think that is the case? So I think it was David Maddock of the, of the mirror who came out and said that he doesn't believe Liverpool will do anything in the transfer window. David Maddock's an excellent journalist, somebody who I hold in high esteem, but I respectfully disagree. Um, we had our quiet summer last summer. You cannot be the first football club to post pre-tax profits of 100 million quid and have the financial success we've had and not bring in a player this summer. We had our quiet summer. I get what Klopp said about it being difficult to improve a squad that we have, but let's not forget, gentlemen, we have Nike coming on board now, about to launch as our, our club shirt sponsor, or club shirt manufacturer, I should say. Um, and if we do bring in a player of a Timo Werner, of a, of a Kai Havertz, of a Husi Moir, you're going to see a boost in shirt sales as well, which will, of course, as we know with the deal we have in place with Nike, benefit Liverpool financially because we get 20% of any merchandise with a Liverpool badge on it and a Nike tick. So I can't fathom a situation where we don't get somebody. Timo Werner seems to be the very obvious choice, and at the least, that's what I would expect this summer. I will be fuming. Even with the situation we're in right now in the world, I just think it would be an easy excuse not to buy somebody when the funds are available. We've been tracking Husimo. That that um, article that David Maddock wrote specifically pointed out Werner and O'R as the two players who we've been tracking. So I don't see any reason why we can't afford the $150 million he mentioned over the course of the four or five years of the contract, including transfer fees and wages. Andrew? Yeah, I still I, I still think it's sort of a, a wait and see moment for for Liverpool and Michael Edwards. I mean, they've been echoing that sentiment ever since the pandemic started that they're not going to make any transfer news or moves until uh, they find out what we're going to be doing going forward. So with the recent news that you know the Premier League could be starting up again in June, I think that's a good sign for our potential transfer business. I would only see maybe one guy coming in though, and I I would think that would be Timo Warner given his, uh, his release clause. I'm just curious if Edwards is waiting for, I think it's June, early June, that that release clause um, subsides, I guess. So I don't know what the word would be for it. Um, so maybe he's just trying to get the fee lower, given the current situation. I know a lot of clubs would be willing to talk about lowering their fees for a lot of their players, given, given their financial situation. So uh, I'd just be curious to see what they would do now. Yeah, now I mean, the, the one thing, too, extended. about the Liverpool transfers, and I've said this a couple times, but it always seems like, especially in the last few years, that we always get somebody that we're, we're told we weren't going to get or that we were even never linked to. Because like, I think about the Fabinho, the Fabinho transfer. I don't even think I saw anything in the news that we were going to get him. And then a couple of days after the Champions League loss, all of a sudden he comes in. You know, he was really linked heavily to you know teams like Man United. And then even guys like Allison and, and Van Dyke, you know, we yeah. were told with Van Dyke and the whole transfer saga with Southampton, you know, we did something wrong there. Oh. So, yeah, we're, we're not even going to go after him at this point. And then Allison's price tag was too high. So, we were, you know, yeah, we're done with that. And then a couple of weeks later, boom, we have agreements with both of them. So, that's the only thing that concerns me about Timo Werner. I actually wrote up a blog on our, on our website, Match Trackers Media, about why I think he's a perfect fit. He does check all the boxes. So, despite the constant chatter about Werner, I think that he would be just the ideal signing because of the flexibility he brings. You know, he can play as a number nine. He can play out on the wing. 
And then ultimately it gives the flexibility to even go to something like a four, two, three, one and have one of the most dangerous top four in the entire, uh, in the entire world. Yeah. Another point I would add too, is that I think a lot of, or any transfer business that we have this summer would be contingent upon the sales of someone like Jordan Shakiri or Dayon Lovren. Um, I think that because of the current pandemic situation that we're not going to see the likely uh, fees that we would expect to get for these guys. I think Shakiri was quoted as maybe being like 20 million, maybe 25 day on Lovren, maybe the same amount, maybe even 30 million. I don't think we would get those sort of fees now because of the current situation. Uh, if we did, then mm-hmm. I would expect like a guy and, and let's Timo not forget what we are talking about with Husimo R and Timo Werner probably ninety to hundred million. So even if we were to get a reduced fee for Jordan Shakiri with Adam Lalana's contract running out, what might happen with Harry Wilson? Will he be moved on? Marco <clears throat> Gruyas, it might be a make or break summer for him as well. There will be money right. brought in and wages freed up. So I still think that there is an opportunity there to to strengthen. We're probably gonna see Re and Bruce to go back out on loan next season as well. And I know you guys want to touch on this a little bit later on, so I won't go into it in too much detail. But I don't know. I just think Jurgen Klopp himself said that bringing in a couple of players every year freshens things up, gives people competition for places, and it usually involves people's levels stepping up then because they sure. know they're under pressure. And one thing on the Werner situation, which always makes me smile, is Whenever I'm doing a stream on Anfield Agenda and Werner comes in, the first question is always, who does he replace? Who does he replace? And my answer is always the same. We play 60, 65 games a year. He doesn't have to replace anybody. He just has to be a better option for us to rest other players or a tweak in our system. Yeah. Well, I think he's really important right now as well because of the Africa Cup of Nations. I know a lot of people talk about that all the time, but we definitely need that depth if we want to continue our success next season. Yeah. And Mo Salah and Sadio Mane are both gone. Who's going who's gonna to step up into that, into, that, into that squad, into that lineup? Divock Origi, uh, Minamino, and Bobby Firmino up top. Is that what we're going to be running with? I mean, that's, that's a tough front three. I mean, Minamino hasn't really found his feet yet. I know yeah. It's only been no, exactly. Years, and but, I mean, uh, if you want to be we'll you know, a top team in the world for, for years to come, you, you need to have that depth. I mean, even look at, look at teams like City. I mean, they have four elite wingers. They have Sané, they have Sterling, they have Mahrez, and they have Bernardo Silva. So if one of them can't play, they have another world-class talent to slide in there. And that's what all the top teams have. And we, although our starting lineup now is, is impeccable, I think we're still missing, you know, this one or two pieces off the bench to know, like, hey, if one of these guys can't go, we have a perfect option to slide right in there. And I think that um, from everything that Werner has said, he he wants to be here. He he'd be willing to to earn it. And again, you know, maybe maybe we change formations, or maybe he's the first guy off the bench. But it just gives us much more flexibility that we don't really have right now. Yeah, another thing to add is that, I mean, the front three are aging as well. I think Firmino is 29 and Mo and uh, Mane are turning 28. Um, they also, mm-hmm. in the front three, have some of the highest minutes in the Premier League as well. Yeah, and a guy so like they, Werner, they need, uh, they need that depth. Right now, they really do. Fit right into this team, get a lot of minutes right away. And then in two or three years, he's going to be the leader of this team uh, right. from an attacking standpoint. So. And it also takes the pressure off his shoulders of not having to come in and be banging in 30 goals a season because he exactly. already has those great players around exactly. him. Exactly. Great right. point. Great point. But, 
you know, going right. over to one of our, one of the key guys in our team right now, Junior Wijnaldum. So, you know, his contract is up after next year. A lot of a lot of conversations. Hey, is he going to get a contract extension or not? Sounds like they're trying to work on it, but they haven't been able to come to agreement on um, on wages and that sort of a thing. So, you know, Craig, what are your thoughts? Do you think that we could see him go uh, after next year? Or do you think ultimately we're going to find a way to get the deal done? Okay, so somebody told me about nine months ago that he won't sign a new extension. Um, I didn't want to believe it, and I, and I, it was nobody that I would take seriously, and nobody who I would implicitly trust. Um, I don't see any reason why we should not give Genie Wijnaldum the four years or the three or four years that he wants. Um, the talks are still underway. We've heard recently that uh, Michael Edwards has been talking with Genie Wijnaldum's agent. There hasn't been a breakthrough as of yet, and all I can imagine is I can't think that it's over money. I can't think it's over playing time, and I can't think that it's over. Uh, the future of the club or the direction of the club because all of those things should be easily put into place. One thing we know that Jurgen Klopp loves is versatility and you don't get much more versatile than Genie Wijnaldum. 29, heading for 30 years of age. He's a young yeah. 29 or 30, in my opinion. Um, I think we should do everything possible to make that man happy because what would it cost to replace him if we do let him go? I mean, we'd have to sell him this summer or let him go for free next year. So I just think it's a no-brainer to try and get this deal done. And unless Genie really does want to move on, and, and if he does so, I wish he'd just come out and say it rather than waste time negotiating. But I genuinely think it will be resolved, and I hope so. Yeah, I agree. I, I hope I hope it gets done too, and ultimately I think it will get done. I think something like a like a two-year extension would, would be perfect for Genie because you know he did come out and say that he, he plans on finishing his career back in the Dutch League where he started. So, you know, I, I respect that a lot, but he can still play at such a high level and he is so important to this team because even even on the games when he doesn't show up, the one thing he's always going to give you is that work ethic and the pressing and, and the defensive attitude that he has in the midfield, which we all know Klopp values so much in his, midfields, uh, his midfield three. So ultimately, I think that'd be perfect for him because he's still at that high level, like you said. And then at that point, when he's, you know, at the age 32 or so, you know, he can go back and still play you know, at a pretty high level in the Dutch league can get some good minutes. Look at the look at the big games we play in Europe. Look at the three yeah. Klopp goes with. It usually includes when you them. That's how highly Klopp rates him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Klopp wants to keep him. I, I know he's been pretty confident that the deal was going to be made this entire time. It just seems like the agent has been a tough negotiator, so um, I would expect it to happen. Like like Craig said, he does turn thirty in November, so that's a that's a young that's a young thirty. Um, I think he's the next Milner, to be honest. He's just he's the most athletic guy in the pitch. He has the most versatility, and he still has a lot more minutes in those legs. I mean, it's so funny if you can just stop and not watch the ball, and you just watch Genie Wijnaldum. That guy is just constantly running. I mean, most of our midfielders are. But he is just sprinting up and down the pitch. It's unbelievable to watch. So I would love for him to stay. I mean, I, I think, like Craig said, he's looking for a four-year deal. But um, I'm wondering if there's Yeah, some, when he's not some, doing that, he's uh, putting up Instagram pictures looking like he's about to drop a new album. He's that damn cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a, I love his playlists, too, that he puts together. Yeah, yeah he, he, just, he makes me smile there. just looking at Genie. I love the guy to bits. Yeah, he, he's got the best smile, man. Yeah, he, he's, well, he's, he's always smiling he's too, player, so there you sure. go. But, um, you know, talking about the front three, especially <laughs> with, you know, one guy that was in the news, guy news is, uh, is Mo Salah. So, 
you know, Sky was talking about him, you know, potentially leaving and that sort of a thing. And, and Mo came out and just put him in a body bag right away, just dropping the, uh, you know, crying, laughing emojis right in their face. But, you know, Craig, you you have an interesting point on, on Salah and his potential tenure at Liverpool. So I'll let you kind of um, start this off. So you guys kind of touched on this a little bit earlier on about our front three and the the aging of our front three. And I think it will come a time, and you also touched on it with FSG being somewhat ruthless when, when they need to be with regards to players' contracts and their values. And Mohamed Salah is 28 years of age. And look, let's be frank about this. We all adore Mohamed Salah. Nobody here has a bad word to say about the man. But for me, of the front three, he seems the most likely to move on someday. He seems like he still has maybe one more itch that he needs to scratch, whether that's a move to Real Madrid or whoever it might be. So if it was a case that Mohamed Salah was to be sold to fund one of these younger players we're speaking about, whether it was a Kylian Mbappe or a Jadon Sancho or somebody, just insert a name there. But it would have to be a megastar. It would have to be somebody up and around the value of Mohamed Salah, the time will come where it will probably be the right decision to cash in on one of these players. Now, one thing that that Sky article that everybody trashed, and I'm look, I'm the first one to jump on Sky usually, but there was an interesting part in there, and it said about dribbling and taking on players being a young man's game. It's one of the things that I love about Jadon Sancho and Kylian Mbappe is that they get the ball and they run at defenders and they're terrorised. You ask any fullback what their biggest fear is and is there's a young winger with freedom running at them and just turning them inside out. So sometimes you see players who get a little bit older like Ronaldo, like Lionel Messi and, and maybe Mohamed Salah reinvent themselves a little bit. And yes, Salah's game has changed since he's come to Liverpool. His upper body strength has improved. He holds off two or three players while he waits for support at the time, allowing space for Sadio and Bobby and whatnot. But I just think there will come a time where we do have to genuinely openly have this conversation about... like Alex Ferguson was a master at this, and I don't like to give him any credit whatsoever, but I have to. He was a master at moving players on at the right time. Jamie Carragher came out recently and said that when we sold Fernando Torres to Chelsea, he knew he was shot, basically, and he knew it was the right time, and he knew we had robbed Chelsea of 50 million quid. Now, I'm not saying that about Mo, but I am saying that there will come a time where we've got to seriously consider this. No, I I, I agree, and it, it's something that I look at a lot, too, uh, in, in American sports is, especially in like the NFL and some of these leagues, you see these guys get these absurd contracts at at a higher age and it's it's almost like you're paying for the guy what he used to be and not what he's gonna be and i always identify the age of about 29 is, is the age i identify when the knees kind of begin to go a little bit for an attacking player um and then slowly but surely that's when it starts kind of digressing so mo, mo is right there um and i think that we can definitely still get a couple good years out of him. but i mean i think that's a really good point He's perfectly in his peak. As you've said, one of the things that used to be something that annoyed me about Liverpool Football Club is we got in these great young players and we and we never held them for, for their peak. We have had a lot of the players now in their peak and continue to have them in their peak. So it's okay to move one on for the right reasons every now and again. The fact we're talking about Mo basically just comes from the Sky article, but I think it does lead to a greater point of there will come a time where it's right to cash in and, and bring somebody young in. 
Yeah, my, my thing with the article was, I mean, I, I agree with all the points you both made, but was the rhetoric of the article. I mean, for Mo Salah, it says, should Liverpool sell? I was just so disrespectful to a guy when he, ever since he's joined Liverpool, he's only won golden boots. And even this year, which I consider, I mean, I don't think he's looked his best all year. He still has 20 goals in all competitions, which is absolutely amazing. And when you look at somebody like Harry Kane, the rhetoric around that with the similar Sky article said, should he leave? And Harry Kane's a guy, in my humble opinion, is incredibly overrated. He's, getting, he's picking up a lot of injuries now. He can't create on his own. He has no pace. And I actually thought Spurs were better with him last year. Look at the Champions League semifinal against Ajax. And then when he came up against Van Dyke in Liverpool, I think he touched the ball maybe three times. So, uh, I mean, he's a poacher. He's, he's definitely a great player. I just think he's – because he's English, he's highly overrated. And It's that's important to remember as well that Sir Harold of Tottenham is, as you've said – treated completely differently and he will fuck off excuse my language he will disappear he will go <laughs> and leave spurs high and dry because he wants trophies and he is a bit all about harry kane I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that now the thing we have to remember about sky and the Mohamed salah thing yeah. and many 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 other websites is liverpool drives clicks because we are the most popular club around right now whether you love us or you hate us People love to talk about Liverpool. So that article did its job. Now, I don't know if you guys had seen the Stand Red app that put out the misprint or the miscalculation about when the Premier League is going to be back. Now, I've got to be honest about this. Yeah, I'd never that. heard of that app until, yeah. that, until yesterday. And now all of a sudden we have Liverpool fans around the world who know about this app and have probably downloaded this app. So excuse my cynicism, but again, I think that was a calculated ploy. Yeah, I 100% think that was a calculated ploy too. Uh, they didn't come out and say that, oh, it was a bug. 100% a ploy. I agree. Well, you, you bring up a good point, Craig, with, with Liverpool. I mean, if you just, just look at Twitter, you know, all the trolls on Twitter, every time they need some likes or some comments or whatever, look, they're looking for some followers, they're going to post a comparison that says that Harry Maguire is better than Van Dyke, and then they're going to get, like, 500 likes, you know? it's just it's The first thing that happened so, when the Premier League went news. into lockdown mode was everybody jumping on the fact that Liverpool will be denied the first league title in 30 years. It was all they could talk about. Yep. Arsenal fans, God love them, were having street parties when we lost that game right. to Watford just over something that I actually didn't care less about with regards to an invincible season. I wanted us to break Manchester City's 100 points, and I still do, because to me, that is the mark of being the greatest team in the Premier League, breaking right. that 100-point barrier and laying down a marker that says... We've put more points on the board than anybody else. I think Arsenal drew 12, 13 games, maybe something like that, in their invincible season, which is tremendous. Mm -hmm. And fair play to them. I mean, I don't want to take that season away from them, but I don't get the mindset of celebrating us losing when it's got nothing to do with them. I really don't. (laughs) Apart from the fact that a load of them wanted the league voided immediately. Yeah, I'm pretty sure right now Liverpool already have more points yeah, than that's just uh, a United change, trouble yeah. winning season as well. So even with nine games to go, we're also <laughs> the only team that is technically qualified for the Champions League next season. Yeah, so yeah, you want in England? Yeah, so you want to null and void it? I guess we'll be the only English English team in the Champions League next year. <laughs> so 
Uh, great great right. stuff there, guys. <laughs> so but, true. Uh, let's close out with, with a little fun activity here. So we're going to go uh, through a list of some of our youngsters and a couple of our key reserve guys and do you know what we think. Should we loan them? Should we keep them? Or should we sell them? So let's kick off with Rian Brewster. Uh, so Brewster, he's on loan right now at Swansea. Personally, I would love to see him go back on loan again. Um, I just don't think, you know, he, he's gotten enough time at Swansea and gotten enough first team minutes. Um, but that being said, I would like him to go on loan to another premier league team. Uh, I would yeah. like him to go. No, I don't know what the exact team, maybe like a Southampton or someone like that, but I think that he needs to get time, some first minute time, especially in the premier league. Um, if you were to come into the Liverpool team right now, I think that would just hinder his development. Yeah, he's he wouldn't get a lot of first team minutes. He'd probably play a few cup games, but even then, you know, with guys like Minamino, you know, they, he's gonna need minutes. Ox is gonna need minutes. I just think it's gonna be better off with him uh, going back out on loan for another season. Yeah, I, I'll just kind of echo that sentiment. I mean, I think he should go back on loan for sure. Um, he's definitely been playing well for Swansea so far ever since he made that loan move. He has four goals and in, in 10 appearances. So um, I think among the Swansea faithful, he's definitely seen in high regard. He's still only 20 years old. Um, but having said that, I am not sure if he's going to be making it at Liverpool or even a top Premier League, Premier League club. I don't know if he has – he still has a lot to learn, obviously, but I don't know if he has the size. I think he's like 5'10", 5'11" to go up against the big Premier League defenders. So uh, I'm very curious to see how this career, his career works out. I think Klopp likes him a lot. Um, I just don't know if he has a long-term future. I would, I would start off this conversation by reminding everybody how hard Liverpool fought to get Ryan Brewster to sign that first professional contract. We actually went as far as to cancel a friendly with Borussia Mönchengladbach because we thought that they were pushing a little bit too much to try and get him to sign for them. Um, I do agree. I do. Yeah, we cancelled a friendly with them that was supposed to take really? place because we were unhappy with the way that they were pursuing him, as were many other clubs around Europe. Uh, I think Melissa Reddy wrote a piece of, at the time, if memory serves me correct. Um, I do agree that a loan spell is, is most likely the right move. For me, after Eddie and Keddy having to go back, to, I think it's in Keddy, having to go back to Arsenal from Leeds, if they were to come up, I think Leeds under Bielsa would be a very good place for him to go out on loan for, for a season. Uh, they do need a striker as well there. So I think yeah. it would give him an opportunity to get game time in the Premier League. Um, and I would have to say that I slightly disagree in that I am 100% convinced he will make it a Liverpool football club. And I think he is a special talent. I hope he does. I really hope he does. I just... Um, I don't know. I, moving I don't know on to we'll Harry we'll Wilson. So Harry Wilson, he was he was on loan this season at, at Bournemouth. Scored a cracking free kick against Man City. Um, ultimately, though, I think he's in a very similar situation as to uh, what Ryan Kent was in last year. Um, you know, Klopp came out and said about Kent. You know, he really is at the point now where he needs to be out of place, settle in, and, and get first team minutes, and you know, really be able to settle in at a club. So I think um, that's why we decided to kind of part ways with him. And I think Harry Wilson is very similar. I ultimately, he kind of reminds me of like almost like a David Beckham style of, of play. Um, but I don't think he's as good as Beckham was uh, in the, you know, in the field of play, but he's a cracker free kick uh, set piece artist. Ultimately, I think we should sell him. I just don't think that he has the technical ability to, to play with, um, you know, on the Liverpool team. 
one of the best free kicks, obviously, in, in the league. But ultimately, I just don't see how he would fit in with our style of play or fit anywhere in the midfield or even on the wing. Um, I, I agree. I would sell him. I, um, I don't like to write off younger players, but I haven't seen anything in his time at Derby or his, his loan spell at Bournemouth to convince me that, like you guys touched on earlier on, if, if Sadio Mo were to go off to the AFCON, that he's the guy that's going to come in and provide uh, firepower from a small wide area. I just think if we were to get 20, 25 million from, I think it's the right time for him to move on. I would, of course, wish him very well with the rest of his career, but I, I don't see him as being good enough to make it at Liverpool, in my humble opinion. See, I would I would sell him as well. I, I initially saw him as, uh, at least in the beginning of the season, as like a Shakiri replacement if Shakiri would leave this summer. Um, he does turn 23 in March. He has had four years for a chance under Klopp. So clearly Klopp doesn't uh, rate him too highly. I think at the end of the day, he does he just have to go. Uh, he can score. He scores great free kicks. He has seven goals this year for Bournemouth off the bench, which I think is pretty impressive. He had 16 goals last year for Derby. So I think we could get a decent fee for him. Maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 million. I think I he's a bit for. of a highlight reel um, player. But yeah, I think, yes. I think we have to sell him as well. I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, he definitely doesn't. He's not the best at the, at the tracking no, I back. Agree. I think so, that's why uh, Next really up, like we much. have the young lad, Harvey Elliott. Um, it seems like I keep seeing highlights of him, some sweet goals that he scored. He had that one nice bicycle kick. Um, ultimately, I think that we should keep him. Uh, he's still really young, and especially in the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, some signs of his immaturity. So I think that he just needs to be around, you know, our lads, our coaching staff, really help him continue his development, you know, keep building his body up, keep getting him accustomed to how we like to play, because I think he has a very, very bright future. I just think if he can, you know, get a good head on his shoulders and just continue to develop with with guys that we trust, I think that'll be great. And then maybe in another year or two, you know, put him out on loan uh, at a a good club to get some good minutes. But overall, I think Harvey needs to stay within the Liverpool system and, and keep getting the mentorship from us. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you said it perfectly. Definitely keep him. I wouldn't loan him out yet. He's 17. He has a lot of raw talent. Um, I think he would benefit with playing the likes of uh, Mo Salah, learning from Sadio Mane, because that's the position he's going to be playing in. Um, I would like to see him maybe Built, uh, bulk up a little bit. I know he's a little stocky guy, but maybe even more so. Um, I just want to see him get consistent cup games. You know, next season, constantly playing the cup games, whether it's the uh, EFL Cup or what is it, the Carabao Cup now, or the uh, the FA Cup. Just get him there, get him some experience against those. Uh, those I, I love the kid. EFL I love teams. him. Love him. Love him. Um, I think he's going to sign a new deal. And then over the summer, that's pretty much been confirmed um, on better terms. I know he came in, but he's impressed so much that they want to time down on better terms. He is a scouser, uh, a heart. I mean, he's a boyhood ready supporter of the club his entire life. It is his dream move. He is going to fight tooth and nail to try and succeed. And when you are the youngest player, I believe, to have played in the Premier League at 16 years of age, the time when he did so with Fulham. That's an impressive stat. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little bit petulant. He was put in his place by Curtis Jones in an underage game when he wanted to take a penalty, and Curtis told him, no, shut up, I'm taking the penalty, I'm, the, I'm in charge here. And he listened, in fairness. But 
a massive talent. So happy to have him at the club, and I see a, a really bright future for him. Um, I don't know whether the future will see a loan spell. I agree with you both that that loan spell will not be anytime soon because um, especially with, I know Kirby has been pushed back a little bit with the building work and stuff, but Klopp is going to want to be able to mould his development and and create the player that we all know he's capable of. Really excited by this kid. Yes, I, th- I think right. he's probably the, the one guy I mean, being being the age that he is, he's somebody that we all have circled for the you know keep an eye on for the next four or five years because this guy he's really shown he's that's just the flashes that he's shown he's shown that he could be the next one of the one of the biggest names in football. So uh, it'd be great to see him do it in, in a red shirt. And a and a and the confidence that he has. I mean, he's six, he was sixteen years old last or this season. And he has a confidence. Like I, I spoke earlier on about Liverpool, maybe just, you know, so going out and getting a Jaden Sancho, or he could be our Jaden Sancho in two years' time. Yeah, very true. Good point. Um, yeah. Next guy, yeah, very uh, true. Yeah, he has very some success true. with the first team this year, Curtis Jones. Uh, uh, Craig, I'll let you kick this one off. What do you think? Again, love him, love him, love him. I see him as a natural Adam Lallana replacement. I know a lot of people might be talking about maybe Minamino, who we'd seen play as a nine, actually, yes. weirdly, against Everton during his first game. Curtis Jones, I love his interviews. I love when he's, he said he's chomping at the bit to get a chance. Every time he's on the pitch, he has impressed me massively. A scouser, somebody who <laughs> loves wearing that shirt. I mean, just when you think maybe scoring a win penalty... Uh, against Arsenal in the Carabao Cup will be his highlight. Now it goes and bangs running then against Everton just just for fun because that's what the kid can do. And everybody wants him to succeed. He has the world at his feet. That was great. I can't see anything but a bright future for him. Yeah, I would just I would just add that uh, I think next year is, is going to be his breakout season for for Liverpool. I could see, like you said, a little on a replacement. I can see him getting some getting some time off the bench, maybe 15, 10 minutes a game. Um, I just think... Yeah, so mature really as well. So Jones. mature. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to say, actually, about the next two guys. But Curtis Jones, yeah. I yeah. 100%... Yeah. We, should, he should, we should keep him, and he should 100% be in the first team next year. Uh, the perfect guy to replace Lanana. And he, he will, he'll get a ton of time uh, in, in cup games and maybe even against the lower-level Prem teams and then just competing with the first team every single day in trainings that's going to be going to be massive for him and again just the, the things that we've seen him do even just this year with the first team you know he's he's a guy that could be a staple along with uh trent alexander arnold in our in our squad yeah for the, for and the he'll be future. he'll be learning every day off alex Oxley chamberlain as well which i think will massively improve him Oh, 100%. And I, th- I think, you know, he can get a little bit stronger and that sort of thing, but that's not really his game. He's still going to work really hard. And uh, I think that he could add to that creativity piece that we're kind of missing right now in, in the attacking, like, you know, attacking midfield role. You know, he, he would be a great guy for that in a couple of years. So I, I love Curtis Jones. Definitely keep him. Um, moving on, moving on to Pedro. Uh, Andrew, you want to kick us off with Pedro? Yeah, I uh, so I'm very surprised at this. I think that we should keep Pedro. Um, at the start of the season, I was questioning why he was still on the squad. I mean, he was 22, I think, at the start of the season. He's turning 23 this month, and uh, I just didn't really see a long-term future for him. Then he really impressed me this year. You know, he played in a lot of the cup games. He was definitely a leader for that younger squad. Um, I can see him as a good backup to a Firmino. Uh, I'm sorry, Fabinho. 
Um, and especially with uh, an aging James Milner and aging Jordan Henderson, you know, these guys will start to pick up some injuries as, as we've seen this year. Pedro's a good alternative. He's a guy that can hold down the middle of the park. He has great vision. He has a great pass. Um, I, I do wish that he was a, a little bulkier, but um, yeah, I, I think that's that Spanish add to definitely adds to that midfield. So, think, I think he'd be a great, oh, he's gone, to, to keep he's gone in the summer's contracts up. Bye bye. He's, he's off to Sporting Lisbon by the looks of it, which I think is where he, he uh, originally came from, I believe. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, there's no doubt about it. The kid's on his way. Yeah, you know, Pedro Cervella, you know, he I, – I completely forgot he was even on our team to start the season, to be honest. He was just one of those – he was just one of those, like, forgotten guys. And then all of a sudden his, his name pops up in a couple of the <laughs> cup games. And he, like you said, Andrew, he did, he did play really well. And I think he surprised a lot of Liverpool fans with how well he played. Uh, you know, that being said, I, I agree, you know, sell or in this case, you know, let, let him walk after his contract just because, especially because of the development of Curtis Jones. And I think that he really needs to be on the first team next year. It's just going to be a little bit redundant having a guy like Cervella in the squad because he would really True. be probably the last name on, on, on the sheet. So, and he really wouldn't get that much time. You know, he'd really just be, you know, the few cup games. And I don't even know if he'd get a lot of, a lot of minutes in the premiership. So, you know, hey, th- thanks for the couple of years of, um, you know, talking about you. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's time to go. I just want to correct myself. It wasn't himself that was at Sporting Lisbon. Sorry, that's my bad. But his contract is up at the end of the season. And, and he himself, I think, has said he believes he'll move on. Yeah, I think it's just time. You know, it, it clearly didn't fully click here. And, you know, he did, you know, give us a couple of good moments. But I think he needs to go to a little bit of a lower club where he can get some more minutes and really show, you know, what he's worth. So, you know, thanks for the memories or lack thereof, but, uh, you know, take care. Um, you know, next guy, Andrew, I'm going to let you kick this off because I know <laughs> you are a huge fan of Nico Williams. So go ahead. Oh, God. He's, I think he's the best young prospect that we have. Um, he's, he's young. He's got that raw talent that I spoke of earlier. He has a big, big future. And he's constantly learning under the best right back in the world, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, I, I don't know who has – I think right now you have to give the, the better right foot to Trent. But, I mean, just watching Nico play, he can whip some crosses in just as Trent does. I mean, he just has that natural attacking ability. And I honestly think that he's a little better defensively than Trent is. Um, as I've been mentioning throughout these young guys that we're seeing, I think he does need to, to add some weight uh, to his body. He needs to add some mass. Um, and there's always been that rumor of Trent moving along in the midfield. So – I think he'd be the perfect replacement at thought, right Craig? back. I think he would just be a I love him transition. as well. Yeah, I think he's a very good young prospect. Um, I've always been against Trent moving into midfield personally. I know it's where he started his career. Um, I just remember Neil Atkinson of the Anfield Rap, and I always yeah, give him too. credit for this because it's a wonderful statement. He said a day will come where he has a conversation with Jurgen Klopp about the possibility of going in and becoming a really, really good central midfielder or continuing to be probably the best right back in world football. And to me, I want them to continue to be the best right back slash auxiliary winger in world football and to have young Neko Williams. I mean, I've, I remember doing some some watch-alongs towards the end of, of well, before football stopped and, and Williams was playing and I was commentating on the games and I was, I was almost saying Trent because it looked like I was looking at Trent Alexander-Arnold on the pitch. That is the biggest compliment I can give the kid. Right. Um, yeah, bright future ahead. So excited that we do have a young up-and-coming right back to come in and challenge um, Trent, where we are maybe lacking a little bit on the left side, although we'll probably touch on that at some point. Yeah. 
No, I agree because I, I love Nico Williams as well. I think he's great. Um, everything that he's shown us this year, he like I if if Trent wasn't in our team, you know, we could be talking about Nico Williams as you know one of the best right backs uh, in the Premier League because I really think that highly of the kid. Um, he has a super super bright future. No, the only thing about about Nico is um, that. I, I definitely want to keep him, and I think that he'd be a good, um, you know, good guy for the first team. You know, give us some depth for outside back, um, you know, going forward. But can he play on the left, or can he only play on the right? Because that's my only thing is like, no, having a guy take up your bench that can only play one position. Um, I'm not aware of if he can play left hand side or not. I'm not going to come on and lie. I do think we need to strengthen that left hand reserve side. Um. We do have Fabinho, we know, that can come in and play it right back as well if needs be, that at Monaco and stuff as well. I think even earlier on during his career, maybe at Real Madrid, he could have played it right back as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but just even having my right back for me is good enough. And look, if you can play it right back, I don't see any reason why you can't go and have a go at left back, to be quite honest. Yeah. Well, I think that young kid uh, Larucci has been fairly impressive. Uh, I mean, he played some, he played pretty well in some of the cup games and some of the preseason games. Uh, he did pick up that big injury in, in Boston, which was disappointing to see. But um, I think he has a bright future. We'll, we'll see what happens with him. But just talking about Trent again one more time um, on Instagram Live recently, he did state that he would prefer to stay in the right back position. So if that's the case, I mean, I'm wondering what happens to Nico. Does he do we loan him out? Do we just keep him as you know? utility guy that can come in from, for Trent every I think once in a while, or, or do we sell him? Just, and, try to, uh, no, see what we can do, just because again, I think his ceiling is so, so yeah. high, and again, I think he is a little bit better defensively than Trent, but, you know, I mean, offensively, he's right there, you know, he's got that great right foot, and he, he would be a really good right back uh, in the future for any Premier League team, but I really hope it would be for Liverpool. Let me just throw something crazy at you guys. Do you remember there was a time when Liverpool needed to attack and strangely enough, Jurgen Klopp turned to Alberto Moreno to bring off the bench sometimes when we needed to attack and get a goal. I, I could see a situation where he he perhaps yeah. pushes Trent Alexander-Arnold really far forward on the right-hand side and then drops mm. in Jungneko Williams in behind to provide that defensive cover if we need to chase something down. So much like we spoke about the forwards earlier on in, and, and players getting rested and rotated, it could be the same with Trent. That's a very good point. That's a very good point because we wouldn't miss anything defensively either and we'd still have the in-swinging from that right foot for him too. So, uh, that's a good point. I think you'd have to change the formation though. I don't, I don't know if I could see Trent on like the, the right wing where Mo plays. Maybe like a 4-4-2 or something like that. I don't know. I don't, oh, know, I don't know. I could definitely see him. I could definitely see him. I could definitely see him freeing up a yard to whip in across. Hey, you said it was Jordan crazy. Henderson, who you I said think it was crazy. And underrated <laughs> at that as well, by the way. Just like Beckham was a master of it, just moving the ball, giving himself one yard, and then whipping across in. That's a good point. That's a good point. So uh, next up, we have we have uh, yeah. Nat Phillips. You know, he's been out on loan at uh, at, at Stuttgart uh, over in Germany. Um, ultimately, I think um, he's probably going to get sold, in my opinion. Uh, I know Stuttgart wants to bring him back. Uh, he's, he's done a pretty good job there. And it was actually kind of funny this year. You know, he came back from loan, played in one game, and then we loaned him, loaned him right back out. You know, we just had to beat Everton real quick, and then we sent, sent him right back out. But 
Yeah, ultimately, I think that he, he's yeah. probably going to get sold. I mean, we have three really <laughs> solid center backs, um, you know, with Van Dyke, Matip, and, um, and and Gomez, obviously, and, and even Lovren. And if, if Lovren does go, you know, we do have some young center backs right in the pipeline. You know, we got, you know, Vandenberg, and then we also um, – Kiana Hoiver, you know. So, I, I just think that he just might be the odd man out here. And, you know, if we can get any sort of um, – you know, compensation from Stuttgart, you might as well take it. Yeah, it's a, it's a city that he was born in as well, Stuttgart. So it's a city he feels comfortable um, being in and playing in. And another year on loan there, if nothing else, may improve his transfer fee. So I would agree on that one. Yeah, I would just echo that and say I think it's either loan or sell. I think that it'll come down to competition with Vandenberg in, in preseason. Um, I think that Vandenberg is high, more highly rated than, than Phillips is. So I think that'll be the ultimate yeah, decision. He, he, he is 23, which is still pretty young for a center back. But, you know, we still have, you know, we have Gomez right there. And with the young guys coming up, I just think that, you know, if you can get anything for him, as well take it. Um, but moving on to uh, Jordan Shakiri. So when, when Shakiri yeah. came in, no, he was a guy that I was stoked about. I was really excited that he was in our team. You know, we were linked to him in the past, never got him. I think back when he was at Inter, uh, we were looking at him. Um, and unfortunately, I think we should sell him, not because I don't think he's good enough, but it just becomes the availability standpoint. You know, his body has just been failing him the last two seasons, and I don't think Klopp trusts him a lot to, you know, track back on defense and do that sort of a thing. You know the the best that we've seen we've seen from Shakiri is when we've played a four two three one, and obviously he was instrumental in that Barcelona game. But again, it just it just comes down to availability. You know, availability is an ability, yeah. and you know I just, I think he's almost too stocky. You know, to, to to stay healthy, and while I think he'd be so valuable to keep in our team with what he brings, he just can't bring in enough because he's always injured. So. I think that it might be just time for him to move on and also, you know, have an opportunity to get more first team minutes somewhere. Yeah, I kind of touched on this earlier. Uh, let me I check that. I'll check that while you're talking away. I think he may have one more season. Is that right, Craig? See if... Yeah, I'm not sure if he has one more season or not. But um, like I said earlier, with, with the pandemic, I'm not sure we'll get the, the fee that we want from Shaki- for Shakiri. Uh, so I think that we might end up keeping him, which is which would be fine by me if he can stay injury free. Um, one thing I did post on Twitter the other day was a little one of those voting charts, and I asked with the with the Willian news, would you rather have Willian on a free or keep Shakiri? And it was really I think at the end it was fifty fifty. I only had about forty people vote on it. I only have like four hundred <laughs> followers on like Craig's whatever. It's what yeah, thirty five thousand. So is um, his responses, contract but, actually runs uh, to twenty twenty three according to transfer so market. I posed that question. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah, I, I didn't expect it to be that long personally. Um, Does it really? Yeah, uh, bye bye, Sheridan. Oh wow, um, yeah, neither, nor did in I. My eyes, okay. I, so I thought he was worth seasons. the punt with the relegation clause that was included in his Stokes deal. I thought it was worth a roll of the dice. Uh, when we didn't get Fakir, I thought it was actually a good backup as well at the time. Never expected him to be anything other than an impact player. I've never understood the look. You always want to support every Liverpool player, but there has been to me. Too much love towards this guy and not a love love towards uh, Jordan Brian Henderson. 
a lot of the time. So I've always been a handle yep. lover because I think he's deserved it. Shakiri seems like a good dude, can play some extra yeah. football. Um, them calves and legs of his are causing him too many injuries. And I think if we can get any type of money from I'd move him on because I don't think he can ever be anything other than a potential impact player for us. Again, pre where we are now in the world, um, you were talking Sevilla player. looking at maybe 2025. 20, I think so, I think anything between 15 to 25 is probably reasonable. Right. Right, um, right. I mean, we only paid, what, 12 and a half, 13 for him with, with that so clause. And I know nothing is that simplistic. He has had wages and bonuses and stuff like that as right. well. Oh, this is such a tough one, isn't it? Because uh, I do you think that he is a player three? that could fit in our system with his work rate. Um, but I'm also somebody who hates players that have previously turned us down, which is why I, I, I didn't want... Um, uh, what's the kid who's going to leave Dortmund or could be leaving Dortmund on a free this summer who turned us down previously when we lost to Sevilla in the Europa League final? Um, Mario Goitze. I, uh, which is why when he yeah. was on a free as well, I was a massive FU to him. So to Willian, um, I think uh, he'll probably stay in London. And I think Willian's an ex- uh, excellent player. Um, but not, no, for me, not not with his age and his profile and, and maybe as much of a transfer or well, signing on fee as he probably wants. But a, a very good footballer. Now, Hyungmin yeah, Son, on the I other hand, if we could somehow wrangle him. That, <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. Oh, man, he'd be great in a Liverpool red, that's oh, for sure. Man. But Everybody wants uh, him. Somebody else, um, <laughs> uh, a part of the first team, um, always finds his way in the news because he likes to talk. Uh, Dejan Lovren, um, you know, he – the one thing I'll say about Lovren is I don't think he's been as bad as people think. You know, he, he does – he has made some mistakes, and he played very woefully against Watford. Um, but you know, he, he played big minutes for us uh, a lot of times and he, he came into the team, um, especially at the beginning of the season where, you know, Matip started, you know, he was injured and then Lovren came in actually played decently well, uh, until getting hurt again. But again, for him, you know, he, he gets injured a lot and it seems like anytime he opens his mouth, you no, know, the next time he plays, he plays like crap. Um, he's a really good option for, uh, a fourth center back, but. <laughs> I would actually think that we should we should sell him if we can get the the right fee for him. Um, again, with with the young guys coming up, I think it'd be a good opportunity for them to be again the, the fourth center back, not expecting them a lot out of them. Um, and ultimately, you know, I know Mo loves Lovren. You know, he's a good guy in the in the clubhouse, but I, I think it's just time for him to go. Uh, I would I would agree. Um, he had a massive massive meltdown at Wembley against Spurs many moons ago. And it was one of the worst performances I've seen from a defensive player. But to his immense credit, he fought back from that and put in a very good long spell of of good performances in the Liverpool shirt. He loves playing for this football club. He's been through a lot of adversity in his life and I hold him in the highest regard for never giving up and fighting to get to where he has got to. But that being said... Sometimes he does go full on Dejan Lovren and much like Adrian, you just don't want those to be in the big moments like we've seen with him against Atletico. So as you could get 10, 15 good games in a row from Dejan, you could also get that one massive, massive mistake at completely the wrong time. And I think 
a move to Italy or Spain at this point in his career where he would be guaranteed more game time would be perfect. But there are very few players that have loved and have, have, have cherished playing for this club as much as Dejan Lovran has. That's always shone through for me with him. Yeah, I guess I'm just curious where his head lies on this. I think that the majority of Liverpool fans would want him sold. Um, I think he's often the scapegoat of the team, especially in that Watford game. Yeah, he didn't do very well with, with Troy Deeney, but I think a lot of other players are making some big mistakes as well. Um, and he was he was definitely the scapegoat there. I think he's a quality defender, but like you guys said, he does have that mistake in him. But like I said, I'm just I'm just curious to see where his head lies in all this. I think if I were him, I would want to be playing first-team football and with the, the rise of Gomez, the consistency of Matip, and obviously Van Dyke, I don't think he's going to get that. So I do think that we should ultimately sell him in the end. But, he's been, uh, he's I, been linked I mean, to be four London clubs, amazingly. Yeah, four. I mean, uh, Arsenal, Spurs, West Ham, and I can't offer the like. Maybe really? Palace was the fourth one. I couldn't believe it when I read the article. Because I had read Italy, I had read a move to Spain, but then all of a sudden out of nowhere four London clubs and I just thought to myself oh please go to Arsenal please 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 go to Arsenal and let me have to listen to Arsenal fans have to have Mustafi Dejan Lovren and, and what they currently have there please 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 let that be the move oh, oh can you Luis, that'd be quite the trifecta oh my god that'd be good David Luiz yeah. who does the, our other podcast footy weekly with us and I would absolutely love I, to I have loads of really good Arsenal mates. I'm actually going on to Claude from uh, Claude from AFTV, Claude Nabance's <laughs> podcast tomorrow night. I did something with Robbie from AFTV recently. Um, I recorded some stuff with Troops as well. I love the guys, but I do love the banter as well. I have to say I do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. The um, We did a stream is for that, the NHS um, on Claude's YouTube channel. Um and that included myself, Robbie Lyle from okay. AFTV, Claude, um, Sophie as well, and a couple of other people. The stuff I did with Troops, and it was recorded for 888 Sport, which is a, a betting company that do a series called Unpopular Opinions and stuff like that, and um, where I recorded with Expressions, Rory Jennings, um, Lee Chappie, who's the Jamie Vardy lookalike. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm probably the worst self-publicist wow, in the world when out. it comes to stuff like this. Like, but I should probably <laughs> be whoring myself out a little bit more on social media and letting people know about these things. But um, I just kind of try and keep my head down and keep to myself. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> We're happy about that. Look, this, I've always said um, I was lucky enough at here. the time on the way up that people gave me a helping hand. And Mark Goldbridge, who I'm sure you guys know very well, and uh, Mark's been a very, very good help to me along the way, behind the scenes and with, with with advice and YouTube and stuff. And even though we have the greatest of rivalries, he is somebody who I hold in, in tremendous esteem and somebody who originally I thought was an asshole and said so publicly and then got to know him, had conversations <laughs> with him. And I can tell you what, there were, that man deserves every bit of success that he has because he works harder than anybody else and he is a genuinely humble down to earth lovely fella so i wish him continued success but i wish his club burns to the ground and i mean that metaphorically of course yes of course metaphorically metaphorically of course <laughs> awesome <laughs> no, he, he seems like a uh, good dude definitely definitely knows his stuff that's for sure and uh definitely has the following to, do, to that he deserves in my opinion so um but let, let's close it out with one more player and this player 
man, I, I when you look at him, I love his look and I love his makeup. And um, it's just interesting to see it. It, it, it. I just think the timing could could be a problem. Marco Grujic. So, you know, I just think that this guy could potentially just bring something different to the team. You know, he's a big bodied guy. You know, he's he's had some really good success right now on loan at Berlin for the last couple the last couple of years. And I don't, I don't, I really don't know. I mean, in my head, I'm like, you know, if Shakiri leaves and Alana leaves, maybe you bring in Curtis Jones and, and Grujic because, you know, Grujic could get some first team minutes, really be a good substitution behind Fabinho. Um, but I, again, I think it comes to what he wants. I mean, he's publicly stated that he wants to stay with Liverpool. He wants to earn being a part of this unbelievable team. But, you know, he's not as young as he used to be. He's, he's 24 years old now. So, I, you know, for him, I think he needs to weigh, like, do I try to, you know, bust into the team for one year or do I go out and go get the first team minutes that he thinks he probably deserves? So, ultimately, I think if you if if he's willing to play on a bench role, I think, I think I'd like to keep him just to see what he can do with this team because, again, there's not many 6'4 center, uh, you know, center midfielders in the league, and I think he could bring some more physicality, and he's really solid defensively. Um, his distribution pretty, is pretty good, too, so... I think if we if he's cool with kind of not playing many minutes, I'd love to keep him. But otherwise, it might be time to sell. Yeah, I, I actually agree. I think I think it's time to sell for him. He was the he was the first Klopp sign in. I think maybe you give him a shot in preseason this summer or, or whenever preseason is. But uh, it seems like Hertha Berlin really like him. He's been doing very well with them. So. I think it looks like the Bundesliga is probably the best fit for him. We have so many midfielders, and the rotations I don't think would would favor Marcus. Yes, yeah, so it's a difficult honest. one because so, I fell in love with the kid when he scored the header nice against Barcelona at Wembley. I mean, what an amazing header in that preseason friendly that was! Yeah, we absolutely trounced them, and he scored an unbelievable goal. That was um, great. Was that four nothing? When you four nothing game? Yeah. When you hear the Hertha manager describe him as the best yeah, midfielder that that club have had in a decade, he obviously them. thinks very highly of him. And I do agree with everything you guys have said. It's very difficult to see a regular place for him, but I wouldn't mind having him for one year and seeing if he can learn from Fabinho and Jordan Henderson because I do believe that there is a really good midfielder in there. And as you said, he is a towering midfielder as well. So... For me, I'm totally on the fence on this one, and that's probably where I shall remain because I can see both sides of the argument. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for him, it's going to come down to preseason. You know, I think yeah, he has a really a good preseason. He might stick around for a year, see what he can do in limited minutes, and then if he does well then, then we'll, we'll keep him. But we'll see. We'll see. we got a lot of options. we got a lot of flexibility with, with what we got. So uh, we'll see what happens. But... You know, that about wraps up this episode of Yanks of the Cop. Uh, any final thoughts, lads? Yeah, I'll just say um, let's wait and see what happens with the season. I can't wait to see what the ultimate decision is. But I just want to go ahead and say thanks thanks to Craig for joining us. Um, give his show a listen on YouTube at the Anfield Agenda. And be yeah, sure no problem, man. Look, I just want to say to, to everyone, wherever you're listening in the world, I wish you health and well, happiness again, and Craig. prosperity and, and stay safe. Follow your government advice. And, and thank you for all the love and support over the years. And thank you to you guys for having me on. Yeah, they, yeah absolute pleasure, Craig. Thank you so much. Again, you know, we, 
we Absolute watch pleasure. All, of your, all of your posts on YouTube and uh, great stuff over there. If you haven't checked it out yet, please go check it out. You're, you're really missing out on some great Liverpool content. On, on Tuesday, um, actually. Yeah, I think Tuesday, this, this probably a good stream to watch because I have to do a forfeit on Tuesday night stream. Um, my daughter turned 16 on Tuesday and with the world being where it is, you know, she can't have a party or anything. So I lost a bet with, with her and with my followers. So, I have to let her give me a makeover, so I will be in full makeup. Yeah, I'm going to be in full makeup for Tuesday stream, so it might be worth checking out for sure. <laughs> no way! All right, that's much watch TV, much watch TV. We're going to definitely check. That oh, out. it's and definitely Tuesday worth checking night, out. <laughs> take a peek at the uh, Danfield agenda. But uh, Craig, thank you so much again, and for everyone listening, we really appreciate it. Yeah, um, you know, please subscribe and please subscribe to the Anfield agenda, but. No, that wraps it up. So thank you, everyone. Please stay safe and healthy out there, and we'll catch you next week.